All right, it's 1.30 p.m., which means we are now live on YouTube. Welcome to the live stream for episode number 249 of the Chillinoy Podcast. If you're listening on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you listen to the Chillinoy Podcast, you heard that right. We've been premiering new episodes live on YouTube every Sunday. So if you don't follow us on YouTube yet, what the hell are you doing? Follow us on YouTube. Subscribe to us on YouTube. The easiest way to get there is by going to chillinoy.net slash YouTube, or you can go to youtube.com slash C slash Chillinoy State. In this episode, we're going to be talking about a piece of legislation that was recently introduced to the 103rd General Assembly of Illinois. The bill that we'll be discussing today is... House Bill 1, otherwise known as the Cure Act. I recently posted about this bill on social media because from what I understand, if it became law, this would effectively deschedule psilocybin and it would create a regulatory structure for the supported adult use of psilocybin. What does this mean? Well, good news, you tuned into the perfect episode because today, I'm joined by Nathan Gates from the Illinois Psychedelic Society, and he will be answering my questions about the bill. We've also uh, gathered questions from the community, and so I will be asking those questions on behalf of the community in today's episode. Thank you to all members of the community who submitted questions for today's episode and This won't be the last time we talk about this bill, so if you'd like to submit more questions to us about the bill, you can go to chillinoy.net slash contact, or you can follow us on social media and send us your questions from there. So, had to make sure my joint was still lit. In case you didn't know, we release all of our new content exclusively at patreon.com slash chillinoy. After this episode, if you'd like to watch more of our show, you can stream our newest episodes on patreon.com slash We recently released an episode with Grant Smith Ellis. During the episode, we talk about an investigation into Curaleaf. In case you hadn't heard, there have been several allegations regarding the company Curaleaf. Now, Curaleaf is licensed to sell cannabis in the state of Illinois and several other states. And Curaleaf is arguably the largest cannabis company in the United States, which is what makes this episode so interesting. There have been explosive allegations regarding their alleged ties to Russia, secret use of an, ir- of an irradiation machine, and more. So you can listen to this episode right now, absolutely free, at chillinoy.net slash Patreon, or patreon.com slash Whatever works, both links are going to get you to our Patreon page. Once again, that's episode number 250 of our podcast featuring Grant Smith Ellis. So I just said the word ir- irradiation, which is a form of remediation. And if you're not sure what either of those words mean, we recently sat down with Carly Bader in episode number 252 of the Chillinoy podcast. During the episode, we tell you about remediation, what it is, and we tell you about several different forms of remediation. 
Hint, irradiation is one of them. So my last announcement before I send you into today's episode with Nathan Gates is that I am especially excited to announce today that we dropped a new episode featuring defense attorney Evan Bruno. Longtime listeners of the show will recognize Evan as he has appeared on the show several times. I am particularly excited to announce his return to the podcast because of the exciting announcement he makes during the show. I'll give you a hint. It's an issue that could cause cannabis users like you and I to be locked away in prison for simple possession of cannabis today. Yes, you heard that right. In a state where cannabis is apparently legal, we are still locking people up for simple possession of cannabis, which begs the question, is cannabis really legal in the state of Illinois? Well, I think that a defense attorney in the state of Illinois is the best person to talk about that with because once again, he's still having to defend individuals like yourself and myself in the court of law for simple things like possession of cannabis. So definitely tune into that episode with Evan Bruno. It's episode number 253. And once again, it's available for streaming right now on patreon.com slash chillinois. Looks like it's about 1.35, so I think it's about time we got this show started. Are you ready to learn about what the CURE Act could mean for the state of Illinois? I'm pretty excited because I happen to be a pretty big fan of psilocybin, so at a glance, this sounds nice. But let's dive deep and learn what this actually means and what this actually could look like. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode, and I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Nathan Gates from the Illinois Psychedelic Society. Take a turn right now to Springfield. A new bill would legalize psychedelic therapy in Illinois. Today we take a deeper look into the therapy that uses psilocybin, the active ingredient in magic mushrooms. And this would treat a variety of traumas, including PTSD. But if this bill passes, don't expect it to be like cannabis. You wouldn't just go to a store to pick up mushrooms. Health and wellness reporter Lauren Petty takes a closer look at this proposal. Mushrooms changed Ajuni Sethi's life. Psychedelics came into my life at a time when I was feeling pretty hopeless. Originally from Palatine, Sethi used psychedelic therapy to overcome sexual trauma she had experienced as a child. What psychedelics do is they offer a non-ordinary experience because our ego is just trying to push that information down. Ajuni had to travel out of state to use mushrooms with a trained therapist, but a new bill in Springfield would change that. Illinois has an opportunity to be a leader in the Midwest for this kind of facilitated use of psychedelics Um, and the demand is here the research is out there the bill is called the cure act cure stands for compassionate use and research of entheogens all of these substances induce this kind of um, mystical experience or altered state of consciousness after being approached by doctors veterans battling PTSD and other researchers representative LaShawn Ford sponsored the bill that treats psychedelics different than cannabis that's very important that there will be no retail sales um, that you can't take it home to use, that you have to stay in a healthcare setting. The CURE Act would create an advisory board that would come up with the rules and regulations that clinics like this one would have to follow. 
we know that the science is there. Dr. Rachel Norris runs Imagine Healthcare, a ketamine-focused clinic on West Grand, but she's interested in expanding to psychedelics if it becomes legal. It's frustrating for me as a provider not to be able to provide something that I know based on the scientific research and tons of anecdotal evidence too from people that have been using it on their own for years um, that this works. It's a tool that we know works for people who have intense trauma, have complex trauma. So why would it not be available just like other pharmaceuticals are? Lauren Petty, NBC5 News. We're headed into a new legislative session. We're going to be seeing Illinois' 103rd General Assembly. If you follow us on social media, you may have recently seen that we shared that House Bill 1 for the 103rd General Assembly, which we will display on our screen shortly and we'll have a link to in the podcast description is known as the Illinois Cure Act. Among among other things, I understand it to deschedule psilocybin and legalize a supported adult use model. Um, but that's that's what I understand at a glance. Today, I am joined by Nathan Gates, who's going to fill us in on what exactly uh, this is going to look like, what this means. So Nathan, thank you so much for joining me today on the Chillinoy podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. Glad to be here. Yeah. And so before we get into it, uh, please, can you tell uh, my audience a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do, what you love, anything? <laughs> well, um, you know, in short, I guess I'm a uh, licensed counselor in private practice in uh, West Central Illinois. I have an office in Canton. And I, um, I've been here for a, for a decade, just about a little bit more. Um, I'm also a regenerative cattle farmer. You know, we've got on our family farm, we've got a herd of cattle and um, do that as well. Uh, and, uh, you know, in, in this capacity here today, uh, I'm the president of the board um, of the Illinois Psychedelic Society, um, which you can find us online or on Facebook, the Illinois Psychedelic Society, if you're interested and, uh, and uh, go ahead and join. Um, and so it's in that capacity I'll be talking about this uh, particular law today. We have been working, um, some of us in the Illinois Psychedelic Society and many others, um, on developing this bill that is sponsored by Rep. LaShawn Ford um, that um, we're pretty excited about, House Bill 1. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm about to share on my screen House Bill 1. Uh, you mentioned IllinoisPsychedelicSociety.org. We'll throw that in the podcast description as well, folks. Um, so for folks that are watching, if you're not watching, it's chillinoisnet slash video. Um, here's the website for Illinois Psychedelic Society. Uh, but here is House Bill 1. The short description is Illinois Cure Act. Like you said, uh, the House sponsor is LaShawn Ford, Representative LaShawn Ford. Um, so, yeah, I gave uh, what I thought was a quick synopsis. Um, I guess we can just start with, I guess, was I accurate? And if not, please um, 
correct me on the descheduling and the legalizing idea. I guess that's maybe a good place to start. I feel like that's what most people can understand right off the bat about this. Yeah, we can walk through kind of uh, what it does, but also sort of some of the thinking behind it um, as well. Because um, it's Absolutely. been, you know, it's been, you know, the product of a, a, you know, a lot of work, a lot of discussions, a lot of thought that's uh, been happening uh, here in Illinois, but also part of the larger conversation nationally. I mean, this has been, um, you know, debated obviously in Oregon and Colorado where they have passed um, bills uh, that do some of the same things. There's some differences, um, you know, as well as all over the country, um, you know, thinking about how we can change from a relatively insane prohibitionist uh, paradigm to something that makes a lot more sense. Um, so, um Basically, like you said, I think there's two main components. Uh, one is that it deschedules um, psilocybin from, uh, it removes it from the list of controlled substances in the state of Illinois, which that effectively decriminalizes it, meaning there aren't, there aren't criminal penalties associated with um, growing it, um, using it, possessing it. Um, it won't be... Uh, legal for sale, um, but it will be, you know, criminal penalties will be removed uh, for those other things. So um, that's one component of it. And the other is it sets up this, what some places call a supervised use program, which is um, a kind of a license and regulatory regime that will kind of, um, you know, creates an advisory board that will also be able to review other substances other than psilocybin to see if, if they would be appropriate fits for the program as well. Um, and, uh, you know, sets up what, what it would be the requirements to set up a psilocybin service center where people can go, um, where they can um, use on site uh, with supervision, um, get the medicine there. So, um, but there, there's many things to regulate on that end, that's, that'll be a highly regulated program. You know, you'll have, um, it'll, the growing of it will be regulated. Who can provide, uh, a, who can have a psilocybin service center, um, what the service providers, what requirements they'll be, um, you know, provided to have, you know, what credentials they'll need. So all of that will be fleshed out in detail by the advisory board. So it creates that process that, um, you know, puts that into motion to create that supervised use program. Um, it won't be limited to only people uh, with psychiatric diagnoses. Um, so you won't have to, you know, have a diagnosed mental illness to use the program. Uh, so it won't be exclusively focused on mental health. Um, so um, that's the gist of it. That's the basics of it. You know, we wanted a program that's going to be open and available for people. Um, but it also is really important to us. And, and this is, I think, really speaking too from the perspective of membership at the Illinois Psychedelic Society. And, and, and I think people who are really coming at this from a, more of a grassroots level, the descheduling, the removing it from the list of controlled substances, the effective decriminalization of psilocybin is an extremely important part of the bill. And sort of, you know, from my point of view, is what makes it work. Um, otherwise, you have a situation in which, you know, it's a highly regulated program that will end up 
probably being somewhat very expensive because you know there's going to be so many uh, different you know hurdles to cross and and um, you know you know hoops to jump through so to speak to um, for people to be able to use the program that's going to end up being you know at licensing and regulation and insurance it'll be sort of expensive and inaccessible for a lot of people it will be you know accessible for some but we wanted to make sure that you know there's other ways of using psilocybin there's other ways of um then those should be protected as well and so that's where the decriminalization um removing from the list of controlled substances comes in it allows for a more sort of grassroots and community-based safe exploration of you know how how can we use these to benefit um ourselves each other the community you know without fear of um, imprisonment basically absolutely and that's what this is all about that's why i i really love uh that part of the initiative and and i think it, that part of the initiative is crucial uh the descheduling um would i be correct in saying that no other state has gone that far well, I don't know. It depends how you look at it. I mean, other states have decriminalized it, but removing it from the list of controlled substances, I think, is a unique, um, you know, unique approach that, Illinois, that that we're taking with this bill is just to sort of remove it from that umbrella altogether. Um, so I don't think um, that's been done. Um, it's, it's a very clean way to do it, you know, just sort of removes it from that body of regulation. Um, right. Without having to... Um, you know, uh, get really, you know, in the make weeds. those graduated steps. Is yeah. that what you're kind of thinking of? Yeah. It just, it just takes yeah. it out from underneath that umbrella altogether, um, which is completely appropriate. I think given, um, you know, given that it's a, you know, naturally occurring fungus. Right. Um, and um, is, I don't want to say completely safe because, you know, you know, we can talk more about it. There's, it's not that I, I'm, I'm saying, I wouldn't say that there are no risks associated with psychedelic use. Um, um, but those risks are um, certainly not out of proportion with many, 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 many other sanctioned activities that people engage in all the time um, that are not subject to regulation and imprisonment. So it's, it, it's well in line with, um, many other well, you know, just well-established, commonly done activities, and um, it doesn't need to be regulated the way it is. And it all, it does have, um, as we're seeing, you know, there's um, there's decades of, of anecdotal stories, but then now we have you know increasing amounts of research indicating the potential. Uh, the benefits of this, not potential, but the shown demonstrated benefits that this can have for people, for their outlook, for their um, perspective on things, mental health. I, there's, uh, it can be a very helpful experience when, um, you know, when done in a proper setting. Um, and when I say that, I, you know, I have to be careful when done in a proper setting because. I think when we say that it sort of lends itself to being like, oh, a proper setting is that which is defined by um, by the state or by researchers or by whoever. And I don't think that that is a fair statement. I don't agree with that statement. Like I do think there is a there are settings that are better and worse, right? But I don't know that we know exactly what those are. 
And I don't think that right now taking a top-down approach to what that is, uh, is, is a good idea. I think we can co-create those settings. We can co-create how we hold these experiences and how people can learn from them. Uh, so I think that that's why the um, removing it from the list of controlled substances really allows for um, allows for religious use, uh, spiritual use to be done safely, community-based use. Um, so I, I think it allows us to discover um, which and discover and co-create the best, most humane containers for use. Yeah. I feel like the community use, the idea of community use is going to go a long way, like you said, towards access in the case that maybe the licensed option is is not an option for some people. And so let's be clear on that. I don't want to lead people astray on it. Um, as you mentioned earlier, the descheduling uh, removes criminal penalties for possession, use, and cultivation. It doesn't allow you to to sell to sell to each right. other, right? Correct. So it wouldn't be that you would have a community gathering where you would go and purchase mushrooms. It would be that perhaps, let's just say hypothetically, you bring your own mushrooms and you you can, you know, do that as a community or religiously, as you said. Um, yeah, and, and I think sharing them is 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 something that would be allowed too. Like if you were to share with somebody. Right. I think I, I think I read that. So that is uh, something that, that's uh, um, part of, I guess, this of descheduling. Yeah. If it's removed from the list of uh, controlled substances, there's no prohibition on giving it to someone. Awesome. Well, that's that's legit. Well, before we jump into the supervised use program, I feel like we've kind of died. You know, I don't want to transition just yet. But um, what else do you think is is maybe key to mention about um, this part of the the initiative, um, anything we haven't touched on yet. Um, specifically the descheduling or just in general? Yeah, yeah, just the de- the descheduling part before we segue to the the other major part of this initiative. I think that that's the you know that's the um, the gist of it is just the re- removing of criminal penalties, and it won't you won't be able to go um, buy it at the corner store. You won't like it won't be. Um, able to be sold except you know at registered um, licensed service centers um, in which it'll also be required to be used on site in those places um, so it so it won't set up a program where like I said where you just go buy it at, at the store or, or not even at the dispensary you know you right. won't be able to, to be in that setting so it does not do that but it does um, yeah allow for um, growing and sharing and using um, the substance, um, which again makes room for um, community use, for religious use, for for people to use um, use them the way they many people already do, um, just with an extra security of knowing, you know, uh, you're not going to be in legal trouble for doing so. Awesome, yeah, and I feel like I say I feel like that's what it's all about. Um, you know, I don't mean to to bring up the CRTA, the Cannabis Regulation and Tax Act, but I'm going to briefly. I feel like that's one of the things that we did wrong um, in retrospect is that we didn't deschedule cannabis. There are still many criminal penalties that remain for cannabis th- to this day. And so um, unless well, you have it, sets up, it sets up an environment 
that is, I mean, right now, you know, um, under prohibition, yeah. you have cartels that are, um, you know, drug gangs, cartels that control the supply. Um, under a highly regulated regime, you still have cartels, more or less, right, who benefit from um, state repression of competition. Um, and we don't want that. You know, we don't want to, to set up a place where you have, you know, privileged, um, yeah, where it all has to funnel through this highly regulated system. Um, yeah, because if I, if I could add to that, somebody made this point recently and it, it, I just thought it was brilliant. It's as if we're saying, we're talking out of both sides of our mouth on one side of the mouth. We're saying, yes, you know, this is great. This is legal. No, nobody should be in jail for it. But on the other side of our mouth, we're saying only these select groups can grow it and sell it and blah, blah, blah. Right. With, and I'm talking about cannabis right now. Um, so it's, it's not, it's not dangerous, but it's so dangerous that <laughs> right. only, these people can do it right like it's not dangerous right. at all but it is so completely dangerous it's it, it is nonsensical um and um and I, yeah and I, and I think we would like to avoid that and that that that's the reason making it um taking it off the schedule of, of um, controlled substances is so important and i think it's one that that people who are coming at this from a more uh, grassroots point of view who aren't necessarily interested because you know a lot of uh, po uh, proponents of this bill aren't necessarily interested in the um supervised use you know or mental health benefits you know they're uh, maybe um interested in it for spiritual benefits or because just because it's fun and they enjoy it you know so they go safely to a concert and have a good time or uh they like to sit around a campfire uh with friends or you know whatever um and this wouldn't do anything for someone like that if if it were to be just a bill about um you know, creating supervised use and it didn't include anything about descheduling it. So I think that that would, the bill to me doesn't work without descheduling psilocybin, without the, the decriminalization element. Um, that's from our point of view at the Illinois Psychedelic Society, that's a vital component. Um, it also, I think helps with, um, you know, people who, you know, at the universities who, who might be researching it, you know, you know, being able to, to remove any red tape that we can possibly remove, you know, any legal red tape that can be removed um, to make that um, easier to do it would be beneficial. Very well said. Very well said. Like I said, I think, uh, I think this approach is done right. And I have to agree with, uh, my delay was because I was filling up my water here. Um, I have to agree with with what you said that, and I was going to say it myself. I'm glad you led with it. This bill is, I mean, the 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 foundation of this bill for me is the descheduling, like, and and the fact that it removes criminal penalties for possession of any amount of you know psilocybin, uh, the use and the cultivation. Like that is just. Like you say, without that, uh, I I can't find myself supporting this. Be you know, and many other people have said it. I don't mean to keep bringing up cannabis, but there are similarities. Home grow is a necessary check, and and yeah. so the fact that like like I said that we've done descheduling, or that we've proposed that is is huge for me. So I'm not not interested in a completely corporatized um, psychedelics or a completely you know one that it, where it's only 
seen as medicine and only available um, uh, via a medical or ther uh, therapeutic route. I'm not, I'm not, you know, interested in that. Um, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a therapist and I have a, a, a podcast myself, Altered States of Context, where we talk about therapeutic use. We talk about um, uh, psychedelics and how they can be beneficial from a therapeutic point of view. And we haven't even touched on that part of the bill yet, but it's because I think that part of the bill builds on, like what you're saying, it builds on the foundation of justice um, and it builds on the foundation of freedom. And then justice and freedom are what um, descheduling psilocybin is about. Um, otherwise you do, you, you, you end up empowering and giving control to just different people. <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm personally, and, you know, and, and, and as I'm speaking for the Illinois Psychedelic Society here, uh, our membership isn't interested in doing that. You know, we're interested in building something. Uh, I think that the supervised users to talk about in a minute, um, I think it can benefit a lot of people. And I'm very excited about it. I think that part of the bill is really exciting. I am for that. Um, like I said, it's, that's what Brian Pilecki is my podcast partner. And um, when we talk about, um, you know, he's doing research with MDMA right now out in Portland. Uh, and we're both extremely bullish on how this can help people. Uh, I think it's fantastic. But um, again, if it's in a context in which there isn't freedom and justice, well, I'm just not interested in that. That 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 to me is um, it's a non-starter. Well, people that listen to this show a lot know why that's so important to me. Um, I I'll just say for folks that don't listen to the show and maybe are tuning in for the first time, I wholeheartedly agree. So, um, well, hey, uh, if there's nothing else to say on on descheduling, um, let's talk about. Uh, supported or, or as you mentioned or you said earlier earlier supervised use program is that the right way to describe it uh i think it, it's, it's sir <laughs> there's a lot it's funny i don't think we've fully settled on i mean as a uh overall you know uh as, as a country going through this uh big process of of change with how we're relating to psychedelics i don't think we've settled on uh one particular two terminology about that is it guided sure. is it supervised i mean i think supervised use seems to be what people are saying but um uh but the the general idea there is it's a space that you know it, it's set up for a person to come take the substance and be held um by um credentialed um, people, not necessarily therapists, guides, I, I, you can, I'm, um, by, um, supervisors of some sort sure. who are credentialed to be there to keep, you know, to keep people safe throughout the experience. Um, and that, that's essentially what the program would, would, would be set up as. Yeah. The key here is that, you know, we are allowing people to consume this in a fashion that's not alone. Uh, in other words, supported, supervised, however you want to say it, um, which I think is a great option for folks that, you know, are, are able to do that, you know? So. Um, yeah. And I think there, it, there's a lot of reasons that people would do it and, and it allows flexibility too. Like I think there would be able to be group use with this, uh, that would be supervised um 
people with different goals again it it won't be restricted to only people who are using it for uh you know use with a mental health diagnosis it will be you know for anyone who feels sort of either stuck in their life or is looking for growth or maybe they are struggling with with some sort of um that, that, that may be able to be helped and you know the exact format i think will be taken under consideration by the advisory board and that's going to be a long process like it was in oregon like it will be in colorado i mean i think we had the advantage of um you know we went when looking at this bill of kind of seeing what went well and what uh, was hard in oregon um during their process of hammering out the details um you know in colorado uh, recently passed a law as well, but you know there will be a lot of details that will be finalized by the advisory board that aren't necessarily spelled out exactly in the bill. You know, like um, you know questions of um, usually th there'll be a couple you'd you'd meet with a facilitator uh, a couple of times, and, and by a couple I, I I don't mean like two I mean like some un, undecided amount before using. Um, then you'd have a session and then there would be time after uh, it, it, you know, what typically is called like integration. Integration um, roughly means you had an experience of some sort and then you make sense of it. Basically you make sense of that with your um, you know, what, what that experience means, what, what you uh, you know, what insights or experiences you had and how that sort of changes your perspective, alters your perspective, um, what ideas, thoughts it gives you on, on your life, uh, its meaning. So it's, it's essentially a sense-making process afterwards. Um, and again, that the amount of sessions isn't um, in stone either. Um, it's sure. that, that would be done by the advisory board. And there's rules about who is represented on the advisory board, how many people from what different settings. Um, so there's... Um, all of that's that that's in the bill. Um, how that advisory board will be composed. Um, and I was just actually about to ask about that. Like, what? I mean, I just assume it's going to be health professionals. That oh, here we actually I'm seeing it. Well, let me just share my screen. Maybe this answers my question. Uh, but maybe you can expound upon this. Um, it establishes the Illinois Psilocybin Advisory Board within the Department of Health for the purpose of advising and making recommendations to the department regarding the provision of psilocybin services. What I was going to ask that didn't answer my question. What I was going to ask is who, yeah, is on this board. What is the board going to look like? Um, um, it, it, I can't answer that co completely. Uh, it, it, I don't remember uh, exactly, but it, it, it's going to be representative of, um, lots of different stakeholders, so not exclusively healthcare providers. You know, yeah. there won't, they're, you know, there'll be, you know, representatives from like I think you know a religious perspective and representatives from the perspective of cultivation, um, and a, a, you know a diverse community representation. So, so um, I, I can't, I can't remember Maybe. precisely exactly what what board seats or advisory board seats are, are stipulated. Um, yeah. But there was a real effort to make it a very large cross-section with lots of perspectives so that there wasn't a single perspective that was likely to dominate that board. Awesome. Yeah. And maybe uh, it, it maybe if you can get more information about that, get back to me on it um, just so I can get a better idea of 
of what it looks like. One of my main thoughts is like, I'm glad you said that it wouldn't only be, that's where I was headed. It's great mm-hmm. when it's uh, comprised of health professionals. Like, yes, I respect health professionals, but I like, I like to hear that it sounds like the idea would be a diverse range of people and um, I guess an idea I want to float, I don't know, maybe you can get back to me on your follow-up, it, just because, you know, we had a medical cannabis advisory board, and it sounds like they're getting that thing back together. And they had health professionals on, um, but one of the things I thought that, that was interesting, they were able to incorporate a perspective they were able to incorporate is the advocate's perspective, um, which I feel like you've, you've been speaking to with regard to descheduling. So I just wondered if if like I say, if you follow up with me, um, what yeah, I'd have to look at like. it, it's in the text of the bill. I'd have to look cool. it up. I, I probably ought to remember, but I don't remember every bit, but, um, it's, um, like I said a minute ago, I'm, you know, I'm a, a you know, licensed counselor and very interested in this from that perspective. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think we've not everyone working on the bill, you know, is, you know, a, you know, in the, in the health, broad health services field. And, and, and we really, are, it, it, as a group, feel that it's really important to, um, that broader interests are represented than just the interests of, hey, this isn't against, you know, healthcare. It's just saying that this is sort of, well, it's a, it's, it's a big conversation. It's one we get into sure. on, on our, on altered states of context a lot is because of the way psychedelics operate um, and the way they create change, which is not entirely known and understood. Um, and the sort of experiences they evoke, it's not fair to try to contain it within only the an interpretation of health, you know, with only an interpretation of, of medicine. Um, there is a, um, an often a religious or spiritual dimension that people experience. Um, there's also just a good old fashioned fun time that can be experienced. There's challenging and difficult experiences too, but these well, don't f- fit well in the rubric of medicine necessarily. So, um, while I don't think it's not therapeutic, I don't think it's a good, it's just an automatic fit for a therapeutic or a medical paradigm. And I don't think that the professions of therapy and medicine i absolutely don't think that they should have any sort of like uh you know stranglehold or monopoly over over the this at all and i am in that group of people and i don't think that our perspective should be uniquely privileged at all yeah um yeah and i might add this will change hopefully with time and if this bill would were to pass um, there is the added, I mean, it's just a fact. I know that psilocybin actually is, I think, more researched than cannabis, or at least I read that online, whether or not that's true. Supposedly, there's more, we've got more research behind it, right? Uh, so, but I guess my point is- Yeah, I think that's true, actually. Yeah, my point point is that we don't have as, as much as we could if we would have been just treating this normally all, all along. And so it is important to not only- limit it to you know medical professionals because their law their knowledge is limited not because they're not not because they're not bright people but because the law limits them from studying it right so yeah well right and it's 
a particular perspective, right? So when you're studying and doing research, that's just one way. It's a good way, but it's only one way of understanding, you know, what's going on. You're, you're, it's, it's, you're, you're being empirical. You're trying to use the tools of science to sort of understand conceptually what's happening. And look, there's just some stuff that we're not going to understand conceptually. I'm going to go ahead and say that. And I'll stand by that. Like there's some stuff here, like, I don't know how, uh, you know, on message it is to talk about it, but it's like, we're talking about some weird stuff. I mean, psychedelics are weird. Um, and they don't just behave like, um, like, like medicines as we would typically understand them. Um, and, and so I think, you know, um, there needs to be more room to, uh, try to understand them in different ways, ways that maybe aren't just like conceptually and empirically um, driven. Um, interestingly, though, I'll add to that just a little background based on what you were saying. Um, these were being studied um, quite uh, extensively throughout the 1950s and 60s. Um, like, you know, psychiatry was, you know, pretty, you know, uh, in on studying um, these, you know, like many, many, many papers were written. Um, they were being used in many different settings and we got some very interesting research. Now, all that research has shortcomings that, that a lot of people will be really quick to point out. And those shortcomings mostly relate to it being um, done at a time when research methods aren't the same as they are today. Um, so sometimes they don't live up to um, the standards that we currently set. Um, and there also are some just really inherent problems with studying psychedelics. Uh, like, for instance, the gold standard for medicine is like a randomized controlled trial, right? Which is, you know, which essentially means um, you have basically a short version is you have two groups. One person is given the medicine, another person is given the placebo, and neither participant or the researcher knows who got what. You know, and so you get either basically um, a, you know, the active dose or sugar pill or some comparable thing, some placebo that's, um, there's active placebos um, that people use with psychedelics sometimes that do something, but they don't do, they're not, the, they're not the drug in question. They kind of do something to make, but the problem with the, re like, is, you know, <laughs> you know, if you have, if you got, psilocybin or not you know if you gotta like you, you the, the blind and so does the researcher like the blinding can't be completed like it like it just like it it, it unblind the, the the study is always going to be unblinded because why well, did i take a sugar pill or did i you know take a, a whole bunch of psilocybin hmm well it's pretty obvious within about an hour and a half so um so that that's just something that's that that's not a problem with psilocybin at all. That's just a problem with our our research methods that we use to evaluate medicines. Um, that's the gold standard, but it's one that doesn't necessarily make sense. Um, it's not the only way it can be studied, and I think there's some creative researchers who are trying to get around that right now. Um, but anyway, coming back, it's a lot of research um, was done prior to you know about 1967. 1967 was in California outlawed um, LSD at the time was when was was the, the more common psychedelic being used for research. Other ones were, but LSD by far was the largest. 
um, and and there was good data with alcoholism and 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 depression and many things. Um, but again, it was all preliminary. It's, you can't look back at it and say that there was anything conclusive. But it's a very interesting body of work. But then, you know, starting in the late '60s, um, you know, they hit the it, it kind of uh, cat got out of the bag, so to speak. Uh, it got into popular culture, induced a moral panic combined with you know the you know the hippies and the the protest with the war and um uh, you know and that moral panic led to that backlash that led to it being banned completely which ended research so then there was 30 years of nothing you know we didn't learn anything um which is very sad <laughs> uh, and it's really a remarkable um to me it's a you know it's a it's a remarkable story about um not just a uh, you know prohibition but of uh scientific censorship um, because because you had uh, a really like like the kind of data that you'd be like we need to follow up on this let's learn more let's continue to study this and then nothing not and and because you'd be risking you know you'd be risking jail you'd be risking your career and so not only was it um, people just stopped doing it people stopped talking about it I mean it was just erased. Um, and that's that's the censorship part is not only did people stop studying it, but people stopped talking about it. You could go and I did get a, um, uh, a you know, my undergraduate degree was in psychology. I graduated in 2000. And during that time, you know, like you wouldn't hear about this in a, in a psychology degree, like, but it was something that was a remarkable. It was a remarkable. Um, well, at the time, it, it kind of appeared to be a blip, but it was a big blip. Um, and I remember because I'm, you know. I've been interested for a long time and I am who I am. So I, you know, at the time I did, uh, you, you know, a couple papers on it that I turned in. Um, I was like, man, did you know, psychedelic therapy, psychedelic research, psych like this is a thing. And so I did these papers in my psychology classes and my teachers didn't roast me for it or anything, but they kind of rolled their eyes. I think it's like, you know, this isn't the kind of thing we talk about anymore. Um, it's like, well, I mean, that's kind of bullshit, but <laughs> um it's crazy it, yeah so it was a really effect like an incredible program of um of legal repression and academic censorship that happened um and then it you know it, it's really i think in the last 20 but really really accelerating the last 10 years um there has that that research prohibition has thawed and now um it's being done increasingly all over the place and it's very exciting it's a, you know i'm not going to give a huge summary of the research today but we've got um data with mdma and depression mdma is not in this particular bill um uh, although i believe and oh man this is something i'll have to check um if, if that's one that the advisory board will be able is going to be tasked with reviewing or not i don't know um but um, psilocybin, uh, for depression has, you know, has been studied, um, there, you know, there's, um, not only, um, is it being studied for treating specific conditions, but we're trying to, you know, in, in research settings, figure out like, well, what's going on, you know, what's going on in the brain, what's going on in people's, uh, perceptions, you know, why, why is this seem to be impactful? You know, what is it about this experience that is moving to people? What is it about this experience that, seems to allow people to make changes. So I think to me personally, uh, that's much more interesting is these sort of process questions of what it means to be a person and how it, how it is to change rather than sort of these uh, trials of like, well, does this work or not for X? Because 
Um, all those sorts of trials are, are basically built by pharmaceutical companies for pharmaceutical companies, in my opinion. Um, there's a lot of interesting and useful ways to study it. Um, that's one of the less interesting ways, but um, many would disagree and that's fine. <laughs> I just, I want to know how it works. That's what I want to know. I want to know how it works. Um, I want to know what those, you know, you know, how, like, um, how we can best support it, having the kind of effects that we want it to have, right? Like how we can best support people who want to have, to have an experience and come out of that experience on the other side, um, you know, more able to live the life that they want to live, um, align with their values more tightly. Um, this is what I want to understand how, how to do. And we're understanding that more all the time. And, and I think that's happening in uh, research settings, but it's also happening prolifically just among people who use. Um, and, and I think that again, coming back to, I don't want to, I do actually, I do want to bang the hell out of that drum because I don't want to beat that dead horse, but it's all right. I'll beat it um, because I just think it's so important um, that um, people are able to kind of continue to learn from this and learning isn't only going to happen, you know, with people in white coats in scientific institutions. And learning may not always be like, like it may be, we don't have to attribute uh, characteristics to what we learn. We can simply learn. How about that? Right. You know, cause let me just say, there's going to be some great experiences. Some people might have a bad trip, but that's all right. We can learn from that. And, you know, one of the things you brought up earlier for folks that aren't aware setting is a huge deal. Um, but as I don't know who coined these, the, the duopoly of these terms, but set and setting, you know, so your mindset is, is a big thing that, that we have to take into account with this. And um, so, yeah, I, I just comes, wanted to, do you have any thoughts on that idea? That, that set and setting, it comes from uh, uh, the great boogeyman himself um, that's credited to Tim Leary, um, who was one of the, um, researchers at Harvard who extremely famously, um, you know, took a hard turn into the counterculture and, you know, kind of was a you know, Johnny Appleseed of LSD. Um, it was called the most dangerous man in America by Richard Nixon. Um, really interesting and controversial figure. Um, but I think set and setting is credited to him, which is an enduringly good idea. I, I always talk about context and set and setting really is what that is. I mean, it's, it's talking about the context for use and, 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 and your intention going into it. So the set is basically your mindset, your intention, you know, what you bring into the experience internally, your, um, you know, and then the setting is where you are, who you're with, you know, what's going on is there music playing, like all these things make up the setting, the environment you're in. So that's the, the context uh, is tremendously important uh, and, and will shape what the experience is uh, a, a very great deal. And so having a, I mean, a, I think a safe and supportive context is very important. Um, I think that's very important regardless of what um, other trappings there are, whether it's, you know, medical or uh, recreational or whatever, uh, you know, uh, set and setting or context is always important. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, frankly, like I said, I don't even... 
necessarily like to attribute characteristics to trips. And we'll back out of this topic because I know we just kind of got deep into into this like hypothetical topic. But um, you know, I've had trips where the whole time I've felt absolutely amazing, the best the best I've ever felt in a in a long time. I've had some trips where you might describe them as unpleasant, but in retrospect, I have this realization why it was. It's because these thoughts that I had been shoving down for so long finally came to the forefront in my mind and I had to confront them and and deal with them. And that was unpleasant, but guess what? I had to deal with that. And so um, while I might describe it as unpleasant and while that might sound like a bad trip, I was able to apply lessons I learned from that session. I don't mean to say trip, you know, whatever you want to say. Um, Trip's cool. And it's, a you trip. know, and I think we don't have to throw out that lingo. It's a pretty damn good term. <laughs> for sure. For sure. I just want to make sure for listeners that so that they understand what I'm referring to as well. Um, you know, you get what I'm saying there where it's like, I don't, I don't necessarily like to attribute a characteristic to how a trip goes, though many people do. But even when you might say it went bad, I actually found a way to view it through a positive lens. It was a learning experience, you know? So for sure, for sure. And, you know, I think that's, um, there are, there can be challenging aspects and part of that is exactly what you're describing. There's, um, yeah. you know, maybe unpleasant, um, you know, experiences that we'd rather not have and, and, and ability to avoid that I think is reduced. Um, and so you can kind of either go into it or experience a great deal of anxiety and, um, and pain trying to avoid it, you know? Um, usually the only way out of those is through, you know, if you go into it and you experience that and then there's, there's a lot of power there actually, you know, learning um, acceptance and, 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 and facing difficult emotions and things like that. I also want to throw out too, that there are such things, you know, as true, what I would call truly bad trips. And I don't, it's uh, sometimes it's a popular saying people will say like, there's no such thing as a bad trip. Um, it's just challenging experiences. And I would not myself go that far because I think that there can be, trips that are, you know, especially if they're not in a good environment, like if you're in an unsafe environment or you're with people who are not trustworthy, who take, who, who are, you know, can take advantage of you or try to influence you in, in undue ways. I do, I do think that there are, there are risks there. And so there are such things as bad trips that are just bad. They're just bummers. And, and so I think that, you know, part of uh, what I really care about with this is that there is good information and that people are able to be in control of their own experience, right? Like you're not worried about, um, you know, being arrested because I'm saying like, I'm, I mean, I imagine that's, I've never had that experience. That's gotta be a bad trip. Um, <laughs> um, or, um, you know, if you want supervised use that you can be there and, and you can know that you're, you're, you're in a safe setting or you can be with, friends you know like that that you trust and that, that we have good information you know the huge part of what we want to do at the illinois psychedelic society i mean it, it probably our core mission is to help provide good information and education to people so they can understand what the what you can and what you cannot expect because there are certain aspects that are going to be unpredictable and how to be safe and how to you know learn how to enjoy yourself how to learn how to um you know, use substances in a way, uh, use these substances in particular in a way that is um, what you want. Um, and um, part of that, I think, is reducing exposure to bad trips. That doesn't mean avoiding 
difficult content, right? Like you're describing. I think that that's important. Part of it is challenging yourself and part of it is learning to go into difficult places. But I, I also think trying to help people avoid bad trips is good because they can be a real bummer. That's just the truth. That's putting it lightly. It can be a real bummer. Um, that, is, well, that is putting it lightly. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we'll we'll start to wrap up here soon. I want to get to community questions. I do have uh, uh, one more question on the advisory board. That's that's what we were talking about before we went on that mm -hmm. um, tangent. Um, so uh, you kind of actually already answered this question, but maybe give me more on this. What power do they have? It sounds like they can decide on other substances and maybe we can get a fact sheet to include in the podcast mm -hmm. description mm -hmm. on that. Um, but what, what, uh, what's, yeah, what's vested to them? Um, yeah, they, uh, they'll be able to say what a facilitator is like how that person must be trained. Um, you know, who, how does a person, how, do, how does a center become licensed? Who gets a license? Um, you know, who can, you know, and can't, you know, access services, um, uh, you know, things like that. And then uh, it would review other um, substances to see if they fit within the program. Um, so beyond, you know, psilocybin, it'd be able to recommend um, uh, other substances that would fit within sort of the um, model that it would adopt. Um, so all, all of those details, um, you know, I think dosing, how the mushrooms are grown. Um, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not saying they would be able to dictate exactly what doses could and couldn't be used, but maybe a limit. I, I'm not specifically certain. I think it has a lot of latitude to determine based on the input of the uh, advisory board members, sort of the parameters of, um, uh, you know, of, of a lot of what the program can and can't do. I know that's a very vague answer, but part of it is that there's, a, it's, a, it's a process that's, there is a good deal of discretion that's left to the advisory board. So that's why it's so important to have a good representative board that isn't just, um, you know, a, a rubber stamp for a particular perspective. Yeah. Well, cool. Uh, that's, that's all I have for that. I will just add, you know, and I can definitely email you after the fact, but I definitely want to know more and I know my audience is going to want to know more about this advisory board. I think chief on my mind is who will compromise it? What power will they have? Um, and, and like with compromise, you know, who will be, I don't mean to use the word compromise, who will fulfill the advisory board? You know, the idea is like you said, I love that I'm already hearing it wouldn't only be health professionals, um, but I, I think it would be key that, you know, somebody like you, or, or somebody from the Illinois Psychedelic Society, um, an advocate, you know, is is a part of this because um, um, it sounds like this advisory board is like the the foundation of this supervised use program, if if we're going to call it that. Like you said, there's many different things we could call it, but this sounds like a big deal, and so I definitely want to get more info on that. Um, so I'll, I'll follow up with you on that. Um, I got a big picture question on this and I'm sorry, you know, it, it's was on my mind, but it's actually one of the questions from the community. People are asking um, and I'm wondering, what's your outlook on this? You're a lot closer to, to all this than I am. You know, I know some of the people I've met you and we've talked a few times, but like from what you're hearing and what you've heard since it's been announced, 
what is your outlook on this? Do you, this is a big step. Do you really think this is, you know, possible, going to be accepted thoughts? You know, a year ago or just over a year ago, when we started working at it, I think my outlook was like, Hey, this, we have an opportunity to create something and we need to take it because it's an opportunity, but like, it felt like, yeah, long shot. Um, I feel more optimistic, more bullish now than I did then. Um, I think there have been a lot of things to have, you know, fallen in place. Um, I think Colorado passing their major by popular vote um, was really important, kind of demonstrated that, you know, they're, you know, um, uh, people are open to this idea. Um, and um, I think that it just, the people I've talked to, um, I've talked to a lot of people who I wouldn't necessarily have expected a few years ago to be supportive, who I have found to are range from interested and open to downright supportive. So I've been kind of consistently surprised by the openness that I've encountered on this because I still sort of operate from like a 20 year ago mindset myself, even where it's like, you know, drug war and, and people are against this and freaking crazy hippies and all that stuff. But I think the people, um, you know, are, you know, increasingly convinced by a lot of evidence that this can be beneficial. I think people are increasingly convinced that the drug war is a boondoggle that um, is terrible for people and anything we can do to chip away at it is a good thing. Um, you know, the repression doesn't work. Um, uh, that often makes the problem worse. Um, so I think there's a lot of appetite for reform on that front. And um, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. You know, I'm not saying I think it's a slam dunk. I'm very interested to see, um, you know, what happens when various, you know, um, the, this. The, I think the different, the different thing about the Illinois bill, as opposed to obviously um, Colorado or um, Oregon, is that this is a legislative bill as opposed to a ballot initiative. So in those, they 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 run the ballot initiative. And people vote and the politicians don't have a single word to say about it. I mean, they can, they can say whatever they want, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Like the people vote on it or they don't. Um, now there's advantages and disadvantages. One of the disadvantages you've seen is that with that the, the language of the bill, the language of the ballot initiative is what it is. So if you, if you have that and then you run into a problem, there's no flexibility. You can't like really work with it very easily. Um, because the law, the, you know, the people spoke and that's the words they said. And, you know, so if there's something that, oh man, this doesn't really make sense, doesn't matter. Um, whereas with a legislative uh, approach, you can be more flexible. You can adapt more to the needs of uh, reality. Um, but you know, on the other side, that means you're, you, you're dealing with interest groups a lot more. Um, and so I'm curious to see what, what, kind of organized resistance if any you know surfaces i can't believe there wouldn't be any um but you know that's i think what i'm i'm interested to see now i'm uh interested to see how some of the big uh, mental health professional organizations react i'm curious to see i mean i you know i hope that we'll see this as an increase in options for people as an increase in freedom as a, and as a carefully 
um, you know, supervised program and all, and on the one hand and on the other hand, an increase in, in freedom and a decrease in repression. So I hope um, that the colleagues in, in my profession, the big professional orgs would see that for what it is and not see it as infringing on their turf, which I think big organizations are inclined to view things as. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to just hope they don't see it that way and that hope they have a bigger uh, perspective than that. Um, and, um, you know, so I think there's a lot of things to, to wonder about. There's a lot of questions, but it's there, it's in its house bill one, it's in the house now. So I think we're going to start seeing that and I'm hopeful. Hell yeah. Um, me too. I, I think, I think that this bill sounds, uh, worthy of my support. I definitely, um, like I said, definitely got to hear more about that, the advisory board, but, um, well, cool. Uh, you ready to transition to community questions Sure. to wrap up the show? Cool. Perfect. Um, let me just start with the ones I got on Instagram. Thank you for the folks that submitted questions. Um, we really appreciate it. Let's start with the, um, some of these we may have already answered. How about we start with the bottom left? This is something that I, I feel like we uh, understand uh, or we already answered. Take this on in a bottle. <laughs> yeah, pretty much what I said. I mean, I'd say it's um, it's it's closer to legalizing, although um, still with the restriction of sales to licensed um, ser licensed service centers. Um, so I think I, I think a full on you know. Uh, legalization would be um, in, would include direct sales, um, but this is, I think, close to that. Yeah, I think it's um, closer. I think it's closer to legalizing than decriminalizing. Myself, yeah. but you know, those are kind of vague words, actually, and right. so so those are, and that's part of why we opted with the language we did, rather than legalizing or decriminalizing, because those like uh, removing it from the schedule of a of uh controlled substances is a specific action that it does it's it's that it removes it from that it would still be able to be um regulated for sale because you know commerce can be regulated in that way but it wouldn't be able to be regulated like you can have a mushroom you can grow mushrooms mm -hmm. you, can give, you can give a mushroom to somebody because it's not a controlled substance hell yeah um well i think we actually already answered most of these questions, except for maybe this one, um, take this one on here in the top right-hand corner. And if you can read it for our listening audience. Is this going to follow the same model cannabis does? If so, I'm not sure how great it is. It is not, I think, in the way that we've detailed it. We've learned from it. I mean, there's a couple things that are similar. It's not 100% opposite in every way, but I think there's a lot of differences. Um, and, you know, even if we were to be like, this cannabis model is great, which we're not, <laughs> but even if we were to be, it's such a different substance. Like the, um, you know, ca cannabis is uh, highly desirable from a profit point of view because people buy a lot of it, right? Like if, if someone likes to smoke pot, man, they're going to buy a lot of pot over the course of a year. Right. If someone is a mushroom enthusiast, they're not that likely to buy that much. <laughs> You're not you don't use it nearly the amount. So fewer people use it and the people who do use it use a lot less. So the sales are never going to be. Even in a totally open um, 
environment. You totally, you know, sell however much you want. It would never be nearly the market size that cannabis would be even remotely close. Um, so it, it's just never going to make, it's just going to have to follow a different model anyway. And even if it could follow the same model, we wouldn't want it to follow the, the cannabis model. So there, there's a lot of actual differences and, and, and definite differences in the approach that we're trying to take. Awesome. And then the last question from Instagram. You expect it, regulations to allow access to licensing for small farmers. Um, well, it's kind of hard um, to answer at this point, right? You said the advisory board is going to flesh what licensing means and all that stuff. I don't mean to hijack your answer. No, is that... it's, it's right. It, it is hard to answer. Um, this is why, again, we wanted to make sure uh, uh, descheduling wasn't involved. Um, that doesn't help people who are farming because you won't be able to sell it. Um, sure. I'm, you know, Illinois, where we live, loves regulation and i'm afraid i would love i i want it to be like and i don't see any reason why it shouldn't be personally of course you know it should be like small growers that would be great i'm i would be concerned that it would be so regulated that it would just be bigger growers i'm a little afraid that that's how it would end up um i'm just being honest about that hopefully there's a way we can mitigate that but the best way to mitigate that is to let those concerns be known to pe like, you know, be active about it. Ask, you know, people contact representatives about the bill, like learn more about it, become involved in this process. Um, there'll be town halls that you'll be able to attend. And if you follow the Illinois Psychedelic Society, they'll, they'll tell you different ways you can get involved and let people know that, hey, we're really interested in um, allowing, you know, small growers and, and making sure that there's space for more craft growers, that it isn't just, you know, um, huge, um, cause unlike cannabis, which I guess, I don't know that much about growing cannabis. It's pretty fussy, uh, from what I understand. Um, growing psilocybin mushrooms is not fussy. Um, and it, it doesn't need, I'm sure cannabis doesn't need all the rigmarole is required to have either, but, um, I just don't know anything about it really. Um, but it could be, there's no reason that inherently it couldn't be done by small growers uh, really effectively and, and really safely. So I hope, uh, but I think that's something to get involved with um, because I think the default here in Illinois often is centralized uh, regulation and centralized power. So we, we've done what we can in the way the bill is composed um, but yeah, it's, it's just going to be interested people who are sort of involved and supportive who can kind of help keep the, uh, keep the power distributed widely. Yeah. And if I can help with like, I'll definitely keep my eyes on Illinois psychedelic society.org. We'll have that in the description folks, um, for, for town halls and stuff. But if there's any way I can help amplify that, um, I'd love to. So, Great. um, well, let's let's shoot through the rest of the questions and close close out. So I posted this on Reddit. I actually posted it on Illinois Trees, which is a cannabis company or sorry, cannabis company, a cannabis subreddit. So mm -hmm. it's a community. That's the word I was looking for. Um, and it's one of the largest in the state of Illinois, 30,000 subscribers. And so oh, I posted wow. this 
earlier today. Um, I helped to moderate. So um, I basically said, you know, speaking with Illinois Psychedelic Society today, what questions do you have? Um, this is kind of funny. The top comment is addressing something I said, um, because sometimes people complain when, um, for example, a user would post cannabis from Michigan. They'll say, hey, this is Illinois trees, not Michigan trees, right? And yeah. so I said, in before, this is Illinois trees, not Illinois mushrooms. I promise I don't plan to post about this henceforth, but since there's a lot of interest, I wanted to give you all an opportunity to submit questions, because when I shared the news, a lot of people on this forum seemed very interested. And this top comment uh, is somebody saying, you know, I can only speak for myself, um, but I'd be interested to see how this unfolds. So in the cannabis there uh, is, community. you know, in cannabis, uh, I, I'm no news to your listeners, <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, it, it, you know, can be, you know, at higher doses, a, you know, quite a psychedelic um, substance for sure. Sorry, I didn't realize I was uh, muted. Um, lost my screen there for a second. Um, I was just going to share with you again here, um, and we'll finalize these questions. Um, didn't mean to share my Instagram, but there's one question on there uh, at, when we get through the Reddit questions. So um, this is something we haven't touched on. Um, hopefully this bill works because I'm affected by this the BS the state allows. I got caught with 0.3 of shrooms. We haven't talked about expungements yet. Yeah, that's um, isn't that a part of this? Yeah, that's in there. Um, that's in there for for crimes related to psilocybin. Gotcha. What what can you tell me about that? Like, is it is it expungement of everything or amnesty or like what is was? Um, I I ought to know better than I do. So I, I've told you what I can recall from, from that portion. Sorry. Cool. No worries. That's, that's something else I can definitely, I can follow up with you on expungement, um, as well. Uh, just and we cause... can follow up with Gene. Gene Lacey is the you know director of the Illinois Psychedelic Society and, um, and has been the person, the per, uh, just un unbelievable energy. She's done unbelievable work and I'm sure she, she can answer just every question off the top of her head. So, um, yeah, she's been amazing, continues to be amazing about all of this. Oh yeah. Shout out to Jean. Um, we'll have to get her back on the show again. Um, okay. So we already addressed this, uh, basics of home cultivation. Is it going to be legal? It's going to be, it's not going to be criminal. So yes, you can do it. Right. What are the grow rules? I don't, I'm not getting the sense that there are any really. Um, not for just, not for not for home use. If it's descheduled, I mean, you you know, you want to uh, PF tech, you want to do sawdust, you want to make it whatever. Yeah. Um. Are they planning to set up a medical card? You address this. No, you don't have to have a medical diagnosis. You can you can if you're just having a hard time, or if you just want to have a fun time, you can have mushrooms, um, or anything else the advisory board uh, approves. Will there be shops? Sounds like there's going to be a legal option to procure psilocybin, but it's not the same as a dispensary, right? You don't no, just buy we, and leave. No, you don't buy and leave. You you would be able to stay and take it on site, or it can be taken off site. It, you know, it, it could be used with facilitated use, like okay. it, it, like it can be petitioned that you could like, for instance, people who have a hard time leaving their homes for reasons sure. like they could have, you know, that would uh, there would be a process for that, but it wouldn't be just grab and go. 
Yeah. Um, what's a realistic timeline? I mean, it's got to, if, if this bill wants to pass, it's got to be in this session, which is through when? Two years. It's, it could be two, two it could be up to two years during this legislative session. It, it, might, it might not take that. I don't really know how to, like, it would have to be within two years, but it doesn't have to be that long. Um, yeah. But that's the, um, you know, there'll be that time, you know, there'll, there'll be debate, there'll be finagling, there'll be all that. Um, but it would have to pass within two years in this session for it to pass. Yeah. Looks like we've addressed basically all the questions. Here's a question that I basically stole. What are the chances of it passing? Um, while the majority of people are fine with legal cannabis, I don't know that the same is true for shrooms, although support is growing around the country, as you mentioned earlier. Two states have voted for it. The only two that's been on the ballot have won. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to give too much airtime to this, but somebody asked, how about we fix the totally broken weed laws in the state before moving to shrooms? I said, honest question. Why don't we do both? Why not both? Um, I can, I can give you my own speculation, but we'll keep that for another episode, uh, as to why maybe you might not see any, uh, progress in Illinois cannabis, but we'll keep my speculation to another episode. Um, it probably kids probably has just, um, everything to do with cash would be my uneducated guess dollar dollar bills y'all yep <laughs> you're right on it you're right that's on not that's you know most problems if you really look at it that boils down to that yeah okay well hey i think we've only got one more question let me and i think we already addressed it as well uh two two more questions actually and we've addressed them both but just you know so the people will see their questions read on air true true social equity and cannabis asked will people who sell psilocybin be penalized or caramelized criminalized they meant to say in any way question um we've kind of uh, no no caramelization of criminals will be tolerated but yeah what what i guess we didn't ask about that you said no selling what does happen if if i like tried to sell you shrimps hypothetically i'm, I'm going to say i don't know okay cool um, it'd be interesting to know the, the answer to that question, just hypothetically, you know, I'm not, I don't know. Um, but anyways, uh, looks like we already answered this other question, which is, um, how is the program going to affect people in severe critical conditions that might not be able to afford the treatment? Is the clinical program suited for Susie and Brian with the nice wallet size? You kind of addressed this multiple times, but take a whack at it. Yeah, I I think that the the supervised program. Um, now I think that there there there's room. Hopefully, we can you know find ways to innovate with um, with group sizes and things like that to make it as affordable as possible with people. But it's always going to be look. Supervised use is always going to be kind of expensive because you're going to be paying you know paying licensed professionals. Yeah, you got to pay a supervisor for time. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, and it's a lot of time. You know, and I think most supervised use programs require, um, which I support, um, before and after care, right? And that that takes people's time that have to be paid. Um, so there's just there's always going to be, you know, a pretty substantial cost associated with it. Um, you know, hopefully the advisory board can um, not make it harder than it needs to be, not make more regulations than it needs to make, right? Because every every bit of red tape you add, it just adds to the cost, um, you know, but you do, we'd need some, you need to make sure 
you know, you don't just have, you know, fly by night people, um, uh, without, um, without an advisory board, without an ethical board, without, um, you know, standards, um, who were just saying like, Hey, come, you know, trip here in my basement. And, um, like, I think that we want people to be able to know they are, you know, if they're going to want the service, they want, uh, you know, a certain minimum standards of safety to like, for sure be met. So it's a matter of finding like, well, what are these standards that are, um, you know, that we feel are important without going over the moon about it and creating standards, just make it really expensive. So that's, that, that, that's going to have to be negotiated. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, to maybe to close on the idea of supported adult use, there's a form of, I would argue, supported adult use that's highly normalized in our society today. Yeah. Bars. You, you probably knew where I was mm. going with that. I was um, going to say friends, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sure. But uh, I, w- what I mean to say is, you know, I'm not saying every bartender is great about it. Obviously, bartenders get in trouble letting, you know, over serving or whatever. But the idea is that the bartender has a legal obligation to like keep their customers in check. Mm-hmm. So I'm acknowledging that that doesn't always happen, but let's move on from that. <laughs> you know, it's really, it's really normalized and accepted. And, you know, if you took one shot and, and immediately fell on the ground, they'd be like, Oh, ho, ho, buddy, we're not going to, no matter what, we're not going to give you more drinks tonight. Right. Yeah. And that's accepted. Maybe not by you on that night, but it's accepted as a, as that's the bartender's role. And so, I don't know, I just, I, I wanted to mention that because sometimes people get weird about the idea of, or they don't understand the idea of public consumption. And I'm like, it's right in front of you almost every day, you know, yeah. beer is offered at basically any restaurant. So, um, yeah. And so this would be, um, yeah, somewhere between, you know, somewhere between a bar and a clinic. <laughs> I don't know exactly. Right. It, yeah, <laughs> we should be clear. I don't mean to say that this would be like that. I was just trying to say like a, you know, a less, a, a more familiar version of public consumption is, is, is a bar. So yeah. Um, anyways. And that's, yeah. So, so that, that, that has to be, you know, hashed out exactly what that looks like. But, and then there's also, um, again, it would not be, um, crime to grow it consume it share it um possess it so um in that case you know that does open up the opportunity for other you know for for um community use and for finding other you know ways of using uh that can be um safely done um without um some of the expense and it there are going to be times when people want that there's going to be times when i think it could be really beneficial like if somebody has you know, a, um, you know, like some significant, um, you know, psychological difficulty and they want a good before and after care and want to be really focused and use it like, like it's treatment. That's going to be, um, the supervised use is going to be, you know, better for that than just, um, grow, you know, like with a friend or whatever, but for a lot of people that that's going to be as today, right now, currently tonight, all over Illinois is already what people are doing. Um, just do that more safely so there, there there will be options i mean the idea is to try to have a lot of different options for people but with the supervised use there is going to be cost in front associated with creating a program that is like safe and beneficial yeah 
Well, I appreciate your candor on that one. Uh, I've got uh, one last question, and then I want to give you the last word to plug uh, your podcast, website, whatever uh, you want. So what 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 would it look like, just hypothetically, if descheduling got removed from this bill? Would, would you say the Illinois Psychedelic Society, hypothetically, would no longer support this bill if descheduling got removed? Because again, I, it's like a big part. You know? Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Um, I, I, I've I've been in everything that I've done um, with this so far. I'm like, oh, if if we can't, I mean, I haven't been attached to descheduling because actually that wasn't even on my radar at first. It was more sure. decriminalizing it, right? Right. And so, um, I guess if you know, if if the details of that were changed and how it was accomplished, as long as there was still a robust decriminalization element i would support it but if there wasn't i wouldn't um and i and and we'd i i can't speak completely for society i think we'd want to know what our members thought um i am guessing that there would be a drastic uh drastic drop in support for the bill among uh, members if that were to be removed and like i said i personally if it were to be completely removed i would um I couldn't support a bill that didn't include that. Good. Good deal. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I just won't, don't want to be in a situation where we're talking out of both sides of our mouth, like with cannabis, right? So, mm-hmm. um, okay, cool. Well, I, I promised you the last word. You mentioned Altered State of Context podcast. Did I say that right? Yeah, Altered States of Context. It's uh, Brian, Dr. Brian Pilecki and I do that. Um, it's wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, you know, not it, we, don't, we don't have video. It's not on YouTube, but it's on all the podcast platforms. Um, and we talk, we, you know, either do episodes, just he and I are talking about a specific issue uh, pertinent to psychedelics. Um, specifically, it's a little more on the clinical use, although not exclusively. Sometimes we go uh, into other areas. Um, you know, we've you know, talked to people about religious use and spiritual use and, and uh, you know, recreation, broader conversations about the drug war and some social equity and, and, and whatnot. But when we tend to interview um you know, people in the in, people in the field, either in psychedelic medicine or people who are more associated with the field of psychology, who are you know also interested in um, psychedelic medicine. So that's the podcast. Um, I write a Substack newsletter, Tripping with Nate at Substack.com. Um, that's some where you can follow me, or if you use Twitter at Tornado Nate is my Twitter handle. Um, I'm too prolific on that platform. um but that's fun i have fun on twitter so tornado nate uh, at tornado nate is um where to find me there those are those are the basically the places i would say to to find me if you're interested cool well folks if you're listening and you want to connect uh there's a link in the podcast description if you click on that link it'll have uh all the links we mentioned today including a link to the website, Illinois Psychedelic Society. I'll try to find some links to altered states of context. We'll have a link to the full bill, um, your social media handles. Yeah, I can send uh, that to you. And I I would say too, if you have listened to this podcast and you've made it to the end, you should just definitely join the Illinois Psychedelic Society because you're clearly interested. So just go um, onto Facebook or onto the the IllinoisPsychedelicSociety.com and like join the Illinois Psychedelic Society. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I think that's a good place. Good place to end. Well, folks, I hope you found value in this episode of the Chillinoy podcast. If you have any questions, you can go to chillinoy.net slash contact, send them my way. 
and I can get connected with Nate or folks at the Illinois Psychedelic Society to do this again. I'm sure we'll be talking more in the future as this progresses. So I look forward to uh, continuing to speak with you, dude. I appreciate your time today. Yeah, thanks. It was fun. All right. We'll see you next time.